cannot believe that we are already in this far into August and coming up to the Raising Money Summit. It's only a few weeks away. I've got a bunch of amazing speakers and I want you to hear from them now. So check out what a couple of them are going to be speaking about at the Raising Money Summit. And I'll see you there October 3rd, 4th and 5th. Hi, I'm Gene Trowbridge and I'm really excited about being at Adam Adams uh, presentation on October 3rd through the 5th. I got to tell you something that's happening to me that I'm going to talk about when I'm at that presentation. I go to um, all sorts of events. I'm one of the preeminent uh, securities attorneys in the country and people stop by my booth and they pick up a business card. Two days later, I get a solicitation from them to invest in their deal. That's totally illegal. I need to tell you about how you should not do that. My best legal advice to you is don't do that. You don't have a pre-existing relationship with me. You don't have a substantive relationship with me. I'm gonna talk about all that. And it's not just me you're soliciting illegally. It's all the other people that you haven't built the right foundation with before you go ahead and ask them to invest. So be sure to be there early on the first day to hear me talk about this because I'm going to keep you out of trouble and then be there at the end of the last day where Jillian Sidoti, my partner, is going to give you a rock star performance that you cannot afford to miss. So I'll see you in Denver, October 3rd through the 5th. Thanks. Hi, everyone. This is Pili Yurusi from Yurusi Holdings. I am so honored to be speaking at the Raising Money Summit coming up in October. Um, at the summit, I'm going to talk to you about how focus gives you more success and how your passive investors will see that and trust you even more because of that, because you have the focus. I mean, all of us know that as investors, if we see that our fellow, inv fellow investor is focused, is clued into exactly what they want and how they're going to get it, we see that and we are attracted to that. So, I mean, think, of the, think about that in the passive investor side. They know what they're looking for and they see it in you if they see the focus in you. And Finding this focus was really, really difficult. Jason and I, my husband and I, went from A to B, which was me getting my real estate license. We started flipping and wholesaling. And I found out that flipping and wholesaling, at least for us, was a job. We weren't investing our time wisely. But we learned how to do real estate. We learned more about the business doing that. We got into small multifamilies. We found a couple in, in Indiana that gave us permission to look out of state, look further than than our hometown with, within like that 30 minute circumference that we were driving to, to do our flips. We found that permission to look further. So from that, Jason saw the possibility of going bigger. Of course, at that point, I was like, oh no, I don't, I can't, let me, let me just focus in on this. Let me, we'll do our flipping and wholesaling and we'll do our small multifamily, but doing a hundred units, 500 units at a time, wait, what? That's actually possible? And we found out that it was. So a year, two years later, we're trying to do everything at once. And we just, 
we just figured out that we can't. And we came to the decision that we're not going to do that anymore. We started dismantling our other businesses and we focused on multifamily and we are on the way up because of it. And I want to show you exactly how we did it and our story that drove us to the point that we are at now where we are all in on multifamily, on large multifamily and finding and offering people the opportunity to join us. So again, this is Pili Yarusi for the Raising Money Summit. So honored to be going there and so honored to meet you. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams. And today we are here with Omar Khan. So Omar currently has a little over a thousand doors to his name. We're going to learn his experience, what he's done. He's raised a lot of capital to get to where he's at. And here's the lesson. Here's what we're learning today. We need to be able to find a way to cut out those BS things that we're telling ourselves, those BS stories, those BS uh, ex excuses. So with that said, Omar, tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today. Well, you know, in a nutshell, my background is very similar to a lot of guys who graduate finance out of like any school in Toronto, New York, Chicago, Boston, some of the top ranked schools. You get out of school, you basically worked on the institutional side, M&A, investment banking, equity research, any one of these things. And that's what I kind of did for close to a decade, kind of advised on about $3.75, $4 billion of capital financing and M&A transactions. Did my CFA charter holder, which is just a fancy way of saying that I spend most of my 20s and early 30s chained to a desk working 80 to 100 hours a week, basically, um, in the bank or on the, in the company side of things. So that really gave me at a very early age um, a quick, deeper look into very sophisticated pools of capital and how they not only look, manage their portfolios, how they invest, but how do they look at things over, a, over the life cycle of the investment. And then I moved down to the U.S. about three years ago from Canada. And while we were here, my wife's a physician. So, you know, she's paying a boatload of money in taxes. I'm paying a boatload of money in taxes. And we're like, all right, well, I don't get the same social services that I get in Canada. Why the hell am I paying the same amount of taxes? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so basically, uh, where it became a quest to basically find out how we could legally reduce our taxes. That was one reason. The other impetuous was a close family friend of ours from Toronto. Their family had bought a huge office portfolio in the 90s and added to it over the years in Houston. So, you know, as the kids are, you know, as the parents are getting older, the kids now want a share of their inheritance. I kind of help them restructure their portfolio. But along the way, I kept seeing a lot of the, you know, deductions they were taking against their income to basically pay like very low taxes. And that it was a confluence of events at the same time. And because of my institutional background, I just started talking to a lot of syndicators. Dallas seems to be ground zero for a lot of these things, as you know. Uh, a lot of the guys I talked to, I was like, wow, man, I am really not impressed. You are not at all. You, I mean, if I know more about your business in five minutes than you know about your business, that's kind of sad because I don't know anything at all, <laughs> right? So, but I did end up meeting a few really smart people and I was like, wow, these are really smart people. Uh, not only can I contribute to them, but I can learn a lot from them as well. And that's kind of how the process started. And one thing led to another, you know, when I moved here, I didn't know a soul. I didn't go to school here. I didn't really have any friends or family here, which I actually think is a good thing because you're forced to get out of your comfort zone and start meeting people. So that's kind of how it happened. But just having the professional background on the institutional side 
really helped me uh, move into things a lot quicker than if I was coming from a different background. Okay. So one, one quick question. What does M&A mean? Mergers and acquisitions. Okay. Mergers and acquisitions. So the next thing that I was, I was curious of, you know, do you, when I picked, when you kind of picked the topic and I said, yeah, let's do that. That's good. Not to be able to, not to tell ourselves the BS. Um, does it mean the same thing to you as it is how I was reacting to it, thinking that we really tell ourselves the wrong stories that, and, and we're unable to be successful or is it more to do more data driven? Well, it's a bit of both because data driven without emotion doesn't really help because then you become a robot and who the hell wants to talk to a robot, <laughs> you know, but just emotion with no data driven, it doesn't also help because then you're just an emotional roller coaster, right? You're going up or down. But primarily what I meant with that is, look, managing your emotions, that is one part of investing. Because look, no matter how good of a data set we have at the end of the day, you know, over a three or five year period of time, things may or may not work out, right? And, and during those periods of times when things are not working out, uh, a big portion of what separates the, the good from the bad and the really good from the merely okay is managing their emotions. So yeah, you can have a lot of the data that helps you take the decision and manage your decisions and do all of that but then you've got to marry it with emotional intelligence as well. Okay. Okay. So what are the steps toward getting there? So let's just say that we're new to investing. We want yeah. to be successful like Omar Khan yeah. and we want to know how do we get our emotions out and really stop telling us those ourselves, those stories and focus on the data. What, what are some steps to get there? Well, number one, what I would suggest uh, is to realize that real estate is just a means to an end. I mean, I know a lot of people say, oh, I like to touch and feel it. And for me, I never really understood that. Look, my family's owned commercial real estate for over 50 years. We still have some spankingly nice properties that make a boatload of money for us. But for me, it's a means to an end. You know, if, they, if there's any other business where I can scale up quickly or I have similar tax advantages, yeah, my, my suggestion is to move into that business because the point is to generate outsized returns. The point isn't whether you own real estate or I don't know, own a tech stock, right? Number one. So you have to focus on your area of competency, number one. Number two, what you have to do is because you have to then physically or mentally at least tell yourself this is a means to an end, you also then have to realize that just because the data is telling you something and your gut tells you something else, your gut isn't always going to be right. You know, because a lot of times we torture the data to confess to whatever we wanted to do to begin with. So if I want to go left and the data is telling me to go right, right? I, just because the data is telling me to go right, but I want to go left, I don't just torture the data to force me to go left. What I do is I look, look, at, look at the data, I kind of take a step back, look at the bigger picture and realize, look, if the data is actually telling me to go in one direction, then I move into that direction. Or I don't move into that direction, but I also don't do something stupid by, moving, by doing the thing that I wanted to do anyways. Right. So it's kind of that. And then also realizing, you know, we there's a field of economics called behavioral economics where basically all it talks about is what are the what are basically the biases we as humans have when we're taking decisions. Right. A lot of times it's typical stuff like, say, anchoring bias. It's like if I throw really like let's assume me and you are buying a property. Right. And the seller throw and I think this property is worth 10 million dollars and the seller throws a really outrageous number out there, say 30 million dollars. Right. And they, now they are going to anchor to that number, right? And they can say, then come down to $20 million and say, well, I came down by $10 million, right? And yeah. you can't say, okay, well, let's just meet in the middle because the point is the anchor to begin with was wrong, right? So just because somebody's saying, well, I came by, by $10 million, be like, yeah, 
you were dumb for bringing it at 30 and you're still dumb for bringing it at 20. So why don't we get to a middle ground, which is fair for everybody, right? So these are small little things or like availability bias that our mind plays a trick that whatever's the last available thing we've seen, that's what we tend to assume is the trend going forward, right? Hmm. So, the, so these are small little things. I mean, my point is, it's like that saying that you have to know yourself. So you have to know that, you know, every person, we all have unique abilities and some people are better at some things and some people are not better at some things, right? So we have to know what our limitations are as well. Because if you don't know what our limitations are, then it's, it's a bit like, you know, I kind of suck at playing basketball. So no matter how hard I try, no matter how many weekend courses I take, no matter how many mentoring classes I take, I cannot get into a basketball game with LeBron James. He is going to kill me, even when he's hungover. It's just going to be no competition, right? But I can assure you, LeBron James doesn't know accounting the way I do. I rather, I hope he doesn't. I mean, not the same thing, obviously, because one is worth 300 million and one is worth, I don't know, $40,000. But my point is, we all have to know our limitations and play the game that we are actually good at playing and avoid the game that we shouldn't be playing to begin with. Got it. Got it. So number one is focus on your area of competency. Number two is your gut isn't always going to be right. In fact, 99% of the time your gut is going to be wrong. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then the, what was the, the next one was something about bias. And the last one was. Well, knowing yourself, basically. Knowing I mean, yourself. They're, they're all kind of melded into one thing, right? If you know yourself, you realize your limitations, you know what your biases are, and hence you take decisions accordingly. Got it. Got it. All right. So if we want to be able to focus on our area of competency, how do we know what we're most competent at and how it's going to add value? Hey, man, if I knew the answer to that 100%, I'd be a really rich guy. Okay. <laughs> got it. Do you have so, any you have any feedback on it or should we move to the next one? No, I don't know. What, what's your background like? What do you naturally gravitate towards? Are you, say, um, a more analytical person? Are you a more visual person? Are you a more relationship-driven person? You know, we're, we're all, I mean, nobody's just one, right? We're on a spectrum. You know, you lean more towards one thing than others. But, I mean, that's something that you can find out based on your experiences, based on just professional and personal. And look, a lot of this is trial, but trial and error, right? We, we think we are one person, but really we're not. We're somebody else. Got it. That makes sense. All right. So the next question I really have for you is talking about your gut not being right. When you mentioned 99% of it, yeah. the time it won't be right. Yeah. What do you mean there? Is it, I mean, it seems like a lot of people and I'm one of them. And so I'm, I'm learning from you right now. I'm one of the people that, that thinks, you know, my gut's usually right. I usually should trust my gut. So tell yeah. me a little bit more about, about that. Look, my point is, if you're out in the wild, right? Um, yeah, you should trust your gut. Because if, like, you know, evolutionarily, if you're out in the savannah in Africa, and you hear the, I don't know, the leaves rustle, you don't have time to stand there and think, hey, is this going to be a cheetah or a lion that's going to rip my head off? Or is this just whatever, the wind blowing? So in that particular instance, you know, if you're outside in the woods, yeah, use your gut but I'm talking specifically in investment decision-making. What's happening now is primarily is, look, we have biases. You know, lots of people have biases that, for instance, I will never go to that part of town or I would never invest in this particular company because apparently it's too expensive or this or that. Or for instance, that particular area is specifically real estate. That particular area of the city is just always bad, right? Because I've lived here for 30 years. So I guess I know everything about my city. 
right? Well, we typically find out what happens is people have made money in every area, in every profession, in every kind of job. So obviously there is some way of getting outsized returns. We just don't know what it is. So typically what we're now seeing, especially in real estate is that it's very hard for anybody, let, let alone like a layman, I mean, for professionals to do this for a living, to do basically compounded, monthly compounded calculations over say a five-year period. I mean, I don't know, maybe there's a guy on the planet who knows how to do this, but I don't know how to do this. That's why I use Excel models and statistical modeling. So because it's so hard for us to do this, why do we build out models? Why do we have all this complex data coming towards us, which we then take, take into ourselves, use the data set that we need to project stuff out? Because it's impossible for somebody to be doing all these calculations in their head, man. Your head will explode. So this is why your gut instinct, your first reaction a lot of times, whereas it might be right, you should always try to take steps to verify that and not just rely on, hey, my gut says I'm right, so I'm always right. Got it. I love it. All right. How about the, the last part is really understanding biases and knowing sure. who you are. Um, so what, what, uh, details can we, can we talk a little bit more about how to do that? Well, how to do that is a very complex thing. And to be honest with you, I'm still learning myself. So I, I have no authority to speak on that, but I'll give you an example. I'm not an American and a lot of Americans have difficulty saying this, but in a lot of areas in, in primarily in the South, there is a red line, right? Rich people live North as an example, and poor people live South. And that could be on racial issues. That could be on income issues. And I know that puts a lot of Americans that they just become very uncomfortable talking about it. But look, my point is very simply put, if you've been to South Atlanta, as an example, poor people racially and income wise live South of Atlanta. Richer people have migrated. The white flight has gone North. And that's just the way it is. So if you talk to a lot of old Atlanta, whatever, whatever they call the residents of Atlanta, Atlanteans, I don't know what let's, do, let's, let's say that Atlanteans. <laughs> I just made up a word right now. If you talk to the old school ones, they might say, Oh, well, I never invest South in South Atlanta because say the crimes are high. The income is low. Right. But what we do know over the past three to four years is that people who invested in South Atlanta made outsized returns compared to people who invested in parts of North Atlanta. Now, why was that? That there are a lot of other factors. You know, incomes might be rising at a faster clip. You might be getting something at a way lower price because there's nothing so bad that if you get it at a cheap enough price, it doesn't make sense. And there's nothing so good that you can pay an unlimited price for it, right? So mm. it, a lot of times it all boils down to factors that are, hey, how much rent in the context of real estate, how much rent upside do I have? What price am I getting it at? Because if somebody hands you something for free in South Atlanta, man, you can withstand a few crimes and you'll make money. Don't worry about it. Let me, let me um, move on to just one other curious, curious question that I have had uh, since we got started today. What, what advice do you have to somebody who, who needs to raise equity? I know you've, you've raised equity for, for a lot of deals. Um, what advice do you have for someone like the listener to actually learn how to implement what you have done that's made you more successful in raising equity for deals? Look, what I have done, for instance, for people of my background have done specifically is maybe your listener, all listeners can't do it because again, I had to know what my target audience was. So typically my target audience was a lot of people who went to my frat or went to similar schools and colleges like I did. So they're working in finance. They're probably analytically minded. They work in a private equity shop. That's kind of how I started raising money because those were literally the only people I knew. If you think about it, right? But let's assume 
like my wife's a physician, right? So now I'm meeting more physicians just because I'm married to one. So, right, there's lots of physicians I know that raise money and their crowd is basically other physicians. So their sales pitch, I mean, the kind of questions that a lot of my quote unquote initial investors asked me was very different and more in-depth than the typical question that a physician would ask me. So you kind of have to know what crowd you're catering to because let's assume you're catering to a crowd that basically wants the high level information first. Hey, if they're interested, they'll go deeper. And you throw them with all the math and stats on the planet. Man, you're going to lose them, man. They're, they're just going to do now. But similarly, if you went to high level, if you used all these buzzwords and fluffy words like positive thinking and the power of positive thinking, yeah, nobody who works in an investment bank is ever going to invest with you. They're going to laugh at you. Right? So my point is you have to know your crowd, right? Knowing your crowd helps you craft your pitch. Love it. Uh, that's, that's so true. That's actually when I do coaching for raising equity, it's the first thing that I talk about. Figure out your target audience. Figure out your avatar. Who, who do you resonate with? Who can you help? Who can you uh, get along with? Who gets along with you? Who are you naturally surrounded by? Yeah. And, and I, I really agree with you 100%. The biggest first thing to do, like you said, number one, figure out your target audience. Uh, and we, we, when we uh, sit down, we build our avatar. We even usually give our avatar a name. We have a gender a race, uh, a, a job occupation, a, an area of town, and how old are they? You know, what do they oh, do yeah. for fun? How many kids do they have? We start to try to understand our avatar inside and out before we start, like you said, actually marketing toward them. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and my point is a lot of people say that, oh, I don't want to restrict myself too much. I was like, yeah, man, but spray and pray is not a strategy. All right, so we're going to move into the final five, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. By now, you should know that one of the biggest things that brings me joy and happiness is to meet listeners of the show. That's why I do so many live events. I definitely want to meet you if, you, if you'd like to meet me and some of our speakers, some of our presenters that come to the Raising Money Summit. And just to name a few, we've got Corey Peterson, Jason and Peely Yarusi, Michael Blanc, Michael Becker, Adam Adams, Ellie Perlman, Kathy Fedke, Maureen Miles, Jillian Sadoti, Gene Trowbridge, Alina Trigub, Todd Dexheimer, Ramakrishna, Jeremy Roll, Chris Clothier, Matt Terrio, and Mark and Tamil Kenny. It's going to be awesome. I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Just go to RaisingMoneySummit.com. And then if you want a big discount, just put in podcast because my podcast listeners get a giant discount because I am hosting that event. I'll see you October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. All right, Omar, what is your most creative deal you've ever done? Uh, most creative deal was actually helping my buddy, like I told you earlier, restructure their office portfolio because their needs weren't just to, well, one of the kids, my friend, wanted to retain most of the portfolio, but the two daughters, they both live in different countries. They wanted uh, income and they just wanted cash straight up. So most of the family didn't want to sell, but there's two people who were actually, two out of the three people who are actually going to get the inheritance wanted cash. So basically helping them a sell a few of their portfolio, a few of their assets in their portfolio, recapitalizing their portfolio, taking money out tax free, then throwing in captive insurance uh, and this other strategy, giving money to their two uh, daughters while making sure that he controlled all of the assets. Love it. All right. What is a book that you recommend? All right. Now, the, well, not right now. I'm reading a few books, but typically what I tell people is to read something like, say, The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb or, say, Thinking Fast and Slow 
by Daniel Kahneman. That's a book on behavioral economics. So that, that really helps. It helps you think about stuff, right? Awesome. Where were you? Think back uh, exactly five years ago and tell me a little bit about what that looked like for you. What were you thinking? What were you doing? How I was having feeling? a lot of fun. I was in Calgary and that was right around the time when uh, the oil prices were crashing. So we were having a lot of fun, even though I worked in an oil company, because at that time we were going to market, uh, basically selling a secondary offering of our shares. It was a really fun time. It was around this time or maybe a month before or after this time. Okay. Not actually 2014. Yeah. What, is it, what does it look like five, five years from today? Oh, well, five years from today, my son is going to be, what, six and a half years old. So that should be pretty exciting. Um, apart from that, you know, hopefully I have a better, more deeper relationship with my wife. Um, and I, I don't really have like monetary goals, you know, don't worry, I, I'm, I'm making money. That's not the problem. I don't really have monetary goals. I just want to have a good time. I want to make sure I provide the highest quality, most professional service to my investors. And, you know, we make a lot of money along the way, but also realize that money is just a means to an end. You know, having a good time, spending time with your family and friends and having time independence. That's the biggest thing for me. How do you give back? Oh, we did donate to charities. Number one, there's a couple in San Antonio, one in Dallas. What we also do is my wife and I, we spot, she does a lot more than I do because she's a physician. So she actually has a skill that she, she can actually contribute to society. I don't physically have a skill. So all I do is volunteer at homeless shelters. That's cool. And how do people find you if they resonated with you, if they want to be investing passively in your deals, if they want to learn more about you, see what you got going on, how do they find you? What's the best way? Well, we keep it really simple, man. You go to Boardwalk Wealth, B-O-A-R-D, walkwealth, one word, dot com, right on the homepage. Type your name, type your email, and how'd you find us? Try AAA, and that's not T-R-I-P-L-E. That's literally three A's in a row and all uppercase letters, podcast. <laughs> Got it. All right, so I have boardwalkwealth.com, and they can sign up and tell you how yeah. they found you. Yeah, and you can email me, Omar, O-M-A-R, at boardwalkwealth.com. Appreciate it. Omar, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking about everything that we chatted about, learned from you. I was, it was good. It was really good to have you. I know we're going to have to have you back. We're going to talk about finding deals, raising money, all the other skills that you have uh, in addition to what we talked about today, which was getting rid of the BS. All yep. right, Omar. Thank until, you. Yeah, thank you. And until thank next you. time, my friend, think outside the box. Bye. What's up, podcast listeners? I hope you're getting a ton of value from the episodes that we keep dropping daily all month of August as we promote the Raising Money Summit. I bet you anything you've already gotten your tickets. I assume you're coming and I cannot wait to see you there. I'm gonna let you hear from a couple more of the speakers that are gonna be on stage at this event right here, right now. Check them out and I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th and 5th. Hi, I'm Kathy Fedke, co-CEO of Real Wealth Network, and we started raising money for syndications back in 2009, so I guess you could say it's my 10-year anniversary. Uh, we did some things very wrong in the beginning, and we are doing them very right today. Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of new syndicators make the mistakes that I made in the beginning and, and mistakes that are way worse than I could ever have dreamed up. So I'm excited, so excited that this event is happening. Um, that I can come and teach people how to really build a business that will be there for the long term um, and that investors will just just be waiting in great anticipation for your next deal and have money set aside that they can't wait to send you. Hi, my name is Jeremy Roll. I'm a full-time passive cash flow investor. I have an MBA from the Wharton School and I'm also co-founder of Four Investors by Investors or FIBI. 
I'm very much looking forward to presenting at the Raising Money Summit in Denver. I'll be speaking on passive investing and the top 10 things you have to look out for in being a passive investor. If you're curious to be a passive investor and you're curious to learn more about things to avoid and what to really look for when you're looking for that type of investment, please come join me at the summit in October. Hey guys, my name is Alina Trigov. I'm going to be at Raising Money Summit talking about what questions to ask your investors, how to ask the right questions, and I'm going to help you learn how to ask those questions and do it much better. I'm really excited to be there and I hope to see you at Raising Money Summit. Thanks.